Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Oh, it's a goal. Who got the assist? Who got the assist? Hello. So no one told you the season was going to be this way. Your rank's a joke. Team's broke. Your preseason data is DOA. Our week-to-week scores are stuck in second gear. But when it hasn't been your day, your game week, or your year, WGTA are there for you. And yeah, despite a subpar game week this week, we are here indeed to talk FBL to keep you ticking over until the Friday night deadline coming up. I'm joined today, of course, by Nick. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm all right. Thank you. Fantastic intro as always, Tom, there. Uh, I'm here, yep, yeah, again for another pod, despite accusations from the form that I'm currently whipad and uh, wouldn't be able to make it due to the home duties of being. <laughs> Just to say who we are, we are who got the assist. You can find us on Twitter at WGTAnsquarePL or at WGTA underscore Nick. So make sure to follow us there and. Uh, yeah, make sure to listen and subscribe across the various pod repositories out there, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, SoundCloud, whatever you'd like. And uh, make sure to, uh, to give us a review as well, uh, but not one that says that we basically scripted the entire pod because I don't know how someone would think that we have the time like in our evenings and during our day, busy life schedules to, to actually script the entire pod. I think that's the most ridiculous thing I've heard in, in a long time. <laughs> say that we're essentially talking out of script the entire part. I don't know what you think, Tom. I don't know how that's even possible. We spoke about it on the intro pod, but this is at work. We're both used to having something to say, knowing what we're going to say, thinking about it beforehand, and I guess articulating what what the point of our message is, I suppose. And yeah, I saw that and I was like, can I be any more annoyed at what I've just seen? Just because I was like, well, all right, fair enough, don't like us whatever i don't know it annoyed me a lot so yeah i do script the beginning at times but other than that yeah no no scripting what's the whole, what's the point where have i got this time it's amazing really i'm spending it all of course in fpl twitter anyway so yeah i've, I've been scripted to uh, to say that makes sense there tom uh, but uh, <laughs> yeah, no, so anyway um 
what we're going to be talking about today, Tom. I know um, off the back of sort of my post on Twitter, we're going to be focusing mostly on um, pick at the back and, uh, you know, sort of the defensive strategy, where it's going wrong, maybe the root cause of what's going wrong and what to do in the future. So, um, of course, we're going to do some weekly features, probably not going to do a league update because the Villa West Ham game is actually still ongoing. And we'll be answering some of the various questions that we've received this game week. Cool. Um, thanks for all the questions this week. Um, we've got an absolute pile of them yet again, and we'll, we'll go through some of the more personal ones, but really sorry if we don't get around to you. Cool. So let's start with the game reviews. I'm guessing we both want to go over these pretty damn quickly. Uh, Nick, how'd you do this game week? Yeah, I got 50 points. It's not particularly good. It's a red arrow for me in the end. I mean, it was a green after Saturday. Uh, we have the likes of, sort of Cantwell and Pookie being surprise uh, delivery um, deliverers of points and also Mason Mount, but Sterling blanked again. KDB didn't even start. And Luca Dean decided on Sunday to contribute a big fat zero to my team. But uh, yeah, I guess to, to pivot onto the uh, theme of the game week, um, my defence overall, I got five points from four, which was just unbelievably terrible. And just watching all these free scoring forwards as well, which continued on Sunday with the likes of Wilson King and uh, Morbamiang, well, wasn't great for, for a team that's sort of set up with just the one sole man um, up front. I think the third striker definitely isn't dead right now. He, he's alive and thriving and, and, and mocking me. Um, but yeah, how about yourself? Yeah, I, I didn't do particularly well this week. I got 41. Um, again, the big at the back sort of set up. Um, Robertson and uh, TAA, um, seven points between them with an assist for Robertson. That could easily have been so much more. Um, D- Luca Dean managed to get nothing um, on Sunday. In fact, I got, got one point from two players on Sunday to quote-unquote save my game week. Uh, Danny Chabalos and uh, Dean, uh, one point between them. Yeah, very depressing. As it was, only uh, Mo Salah and Timu Puki actually did anything uh, for me apart from that Robertson assist. So yeah, 41 points overall. Uh, not particularly good. And uh, the wheels have been set in motion for me. I exclusive revealed that I'm uh, looking to wildcard this Friday. So after the um, yeah, after the FNF and after the game reopens, I'll be hitting the wildcard bus. Let's get to the main topic then, I think. And it's about big at the back, isn't it? Worth talking about because I think it's something that you coined, actually. Uh, we've looked at a few sources. We looked at a few things. I know that um, Ben McNair did an article a little while ago, I think 2015, on the case for the defence in FFS. But I think uh, the article you wrote back in 2017 was the first use of that kind of big at the back idea. As far as we know, I really apologise if uh, you came out of it somewhere else and we just did, we completely ignored you. Yeah, I think um, when we first started the podcast, I was kind of looking at, if I remember rightly, what was going wrong with uh, my FPL strategy. I looked at Tom and Tom was always doing very well in FPL and uh, I was doing very poorly. And uh, mostly as my sort of, you know, I was, I was a bit more of a casual, really, to be honest, before we started the pod. I, I didn't look at the data and analyse it in the same way that I do every, every day virtually now. Um, I used to be a bit more kind of just like, lazy pair with my transfers I always kind of focused on the attacking players up front I wasn't really too bothered about my defenders and I would see players in Tom's team that would constantly score goals and I was looking at the defensive picks that he had like Craig Dawson I was like who's, who's this guy I've never even heard of him he's always seems to rock up with goals and how's, how's Tom even noticing that and of course Tom was focusing on looking at the, um, the attacking stats for those defenders as well of course targeting players that um, would get clean sheets from some of the Tom team so I really noticed it defence was an area of my sort of FPL team that needed vast improvement and was the weakest area always sort of scoring the lowest points and uh, I did a little bit of analysis of the defenders actually over that summer and you know some of these defenders have done ridiculously well considering how um, cheap they were and uh, yeah so we sort of 
sort of looked at uh, whether it was time to go big at the back, so to speak. And it was mostly the um, the Chelsea boys actually that season that had done um, especially well. It was sort of the eight out of the uh, top ten, um, sorry, six out. Six out of the sort of top ten um, best value players that season had been uh, defenders, and uh, Cahill being sort of the second best value player of the season, sort of getting twenty nine point six seven points per value, and the likes of Alonso, Aspilicueta all up there as well, as well as um, good old Gareth McCauley, uh, one of our oh, what a hero. friends. Um, yeah, what a hero he is, and then you know also the likes of Kyle Walker as well, and uh, and we looked at this and we thought well, actually you know what like. You can load up on these guys. Just go top, back heavy. Just load up and premium, expensive defenders, and you can you can build quite a, um, a strong team about that. So that's a little bit of the sort of the history of of big at the back. But I guess we we kind of need to um, define what big at the back is as well, don't we? Because there's been various variations of what what it exactly means. I, I don't know if you want to chime in here, Tom, with what you you think your definition is. Yeah, I think simply put, it's not the the extreme of saying, right, I'm going to go with five, six million plus defenders. It can be that. It's like degrees, but actually all big at the back is, is reallocating some of the resource that you'd normally normally kind of funnel to your front line a bit backwards. Because I know, in, as we've remarked several times in the past, it was all about those strikers, all about those midfielders. And the defence was kind of an afterthought. And what big at the back was for me was the idea of putting an extra million, an extra two million, buying an extra premium or two at the back, which we'd never really have done before. And, and that's what it was to me, like a degree of movement backwards, not saying, right, you need to have five huge defenders. I don't think we've ever said that. plausible deniability there. Is that the same for you? Yeah, exactly. So I've, I've referred to myself as going big at the back, but I've never actually lined up um, specifically with a five-man defence. My fifth defender has always been some sort of like 4.0 million enabler. Obviously, we had the, um, the brilliant Aaron Wan-Bissaka last season, and I might have played five, you know, once or twice um, last season, but I never really loaded up on five premium players. I think that's sort of, that is playing big at the back, but I think that's sort of the more extreme side of big at the back. However, I would also say that, Having um, a three-man defence of three premiums isn't isn't quite big at the back either. I feel like the middle ground more is towards that sort of four-man defence where you've got perhaps three quite expensive defenders. You're, you're um, sort of throwing all your budget into the likes of the most expensive defenders you can get. And then right now that would be like Robbo and TAA as well as sort of, um, you know, a character like Luca Dean in there as well, maybe a Manchester City defender. Yeah, no, I, th- I think that's about right with those sort of four. And I, I guess for- fast forward for- to now, like the work we did over the last summer, again, backed up this point that the defence was a source of fantastic value. And of course, over the last five game weeks, things have uh, really taken a turn for the worse in that regard from the very throaty sort of application we were giving to big at the back in the beginning. And uh, this week, for example, there have been a few podcasts that have spoken about this. So, you know, James and Social Planet FPL uh, were talking about that. They've both got a, a very, very strong defence, but they've both got a triple Liverpool defence for us example and they're both sticking to their guns on that it was really interesting to hear them compared to like always choosing Josh and Brandon basically saying divest divest it's all about basically having TAA and maybe Luca Dean if you can uh, but the big question I guess from where we are now is, is from our mate Marco Arlotti who asked should we be moving funds up top to a three-man forward line away from the premium defenders and I think that that was what your thread was about this week wasn't it because like you basically detail what had happened over the first five and I guess the first thing to speak about is the changing of the guard up front because really the creation of more options in that kind of striker bracket suddenly meant that last year's death of the third striker, which was much pillory, but actually turned out to be correct with Jimenez, the only man who provided any value, 
that has now changed, hasn't it? And there are now a plethora of viable uh, third striker, second striker options, which we've got lots of questions on too. Yeah, exactly. So I think last season um, I mentioned in, in the thread the likes of uh, Lukaku was leading the line at Manchester United and not getting too much game time. Um, you also had sort of Maratta being sort of a sort of nine million um, pound forward for Chelsea that just couldn't score at all. And he was later replaced by Higurain, which was another really expensive forward that couldn't do much at all. And it was the same at the lower reaches clubs as well. You know, the likes of Huddersfield and Cardiff just didn't really have any forwards at all. They would get any goals, any points at all, completely pointless. Plus, you compare the Watford players and say, right, would you really want to spend sort of 6.5 million on the likes of Troy Deeney, 6.5 million on the likes of Andre Gray, when you can afford uh, Marcus Alonso for that same price, when you can afford, you know, the likes of Benjamin Mendy and, and Kieran Trippier, these quite exciting attacking fullbacks that would get you assists and clean sheets as well. Or, you know, this kind of player that would sort of turn up with a goal perhaps once in every four or five game weeks. And uh, so that was kind of the state of play last season. There really weren't many forwards in the game at all. But as, as, as we said, there's been a changing of the guard. And especially with Chelsea, they've got a sort of a young, vibrant £7 million at the start of the season forward who's, who's just absolutely smashing it. In Manchester United, Marcus Rashford's now that nailed-on um, forward-type character who's taking penalties and, and very good value as well. He's not He's not... A premium asset so to speak he's, he's very affordable for us and uh, and then yeah the championship clubs have had these you know brilliant players like Timu Puki coming up and uh, joining the ranks and the scoring week in week out just absolutely smashing it and you think about who we lost and who we brought in in terms of the championship clubs we've even got you know the likes of Wesley and other, and other players like Sebastian Haller joining the Premier League as well. It's definitely been a, a changing of guard. And we've got a plethora of options now, haven't we, to, to play around within that forward line. Yeah, exactly. From Moving from Kenneth Zahor to Timu Puki is such an upgrade, isn't it, really? And uh, although it's a bit of a moot point, there are a few kind of uh, little bits and pieces in the strikers which are of interest if you look at the numbers. So did you know, for example, that um, Tammy scored seven goals so far, but his XG is 2.66. So that's an overperformance of four, almost four and a half goals. Um, Aguero, seven goals scored, 3.76 XG, an overperformance of uh, three and a quarter goals. And uh, Puki, 2.3 xg six goals scored and uh, almost four goals overperformed basically which is uh, quite quite amazing really but the fact is that you know the the points mean prizes effectively and uh, the, the fact is we, we can't really ignore the fact that there are so many strikers I and mean, we haven't even mentioned the Barnes train for example there are so many options out there at the moment in those forward lines and it begins to look like well who goes where does the money go well upgrading someone like you know a Greenwood or a um, or, yeah, or a Connor Wickham and uh, downgrading one of the defenders like looks the way to go given given the last five weeks I mean we'll mention a few of the strikers later on in more detail as in answer to a question but I think what's what's interesting to move on to is is the next part of what your thread was which is about the defensive failures yeah so obviously I think with um, Liverpool we're obviously all very disappointed and like the vast majority of us have at least one Liverpool defender me and Tom for our sins have um, have a double Liverpool defence and uh, we've all been very disappointed that they've only managed one clean sheet out of five and I feel like just a couple more clean sheets we've all be laughing our way to the banks and have you know much better ranks than we currently do but unfortunately it hasn't worked out for, for Liverpool um, double defence or even triple defence, and I know a lot of listeners also have. And, and with the fixture shift that's um, approaching, 
is a little bit concerning for us, but there have been um, mitigating factors as to why Liverpool have not kept any clean sheets. One, they've, they've, they've been quite unlucky, to be honest. I think it's one factor to say. They've never conceded more than two goals in any of their games. It's always just been the solitary goal that they, they've conceded. And there's been some unfortunate circumstances behind those goals. But I think the main factor is obviously they lost a goalkeeper in the, in the first 20 minutes or so of the first game of the season. And that, that was a massive blow because Adrian is it's not the same level of keeper as Alisson. And, uh, and, and as we saw, um, he, was, he was directly at fault for the, uh, the goal uh, that Danny Ying scored in, in game week two, unfortunately. So that, that's one factor. And I think the same accounts for Manchester City as well. I think Laporte uh, played more minutes than any other outfield uh, player last season for Manchester City. It was absolutely integral um, to their back line and, and the success that they managed, keeping those 20 clean sheets that they managed last season. And unfortunately, with that injury, we saw that Ottomendi and Stones, they're just, it's just not the same level of skill as Laporte. And uh, they, they played absolutely horrendously um, defensively against Norwich in that last game week, uh, as we all saw from um, Ottomendi's... Uh, terrible uh, ball management when he gave the ball away for the oh, uh, so the, bad wasn't it yeah. we were all thinking about bringing this guy in and now we're all like no don't even go near him we can't even touch this guy because he's terrible and uh, yeah it's a little bit concerning obviously both Manchester City and they've put both lost two key members to their defence and, and it really has shown in, in the game so far yeah, certainly. I saw there was a stat um, on Sky just earlier on that the Stones-Ottomendi partnership on average has conceded over one goal a game uh, compared to every other partnership, which is uh, less than one goal per game. So yeah, it's, it's a real uh, it's, it's a real worry um, for people who are holding Man City's defensive assets there. And I did have a look at some of the numbers as well behind what's been going on. Um, and I've looked at the kind of the past three years and it does seem that this the first five has been a bit of a, a particularly defensively poor performance in the light of the last two years. I didn't go any further back because one time and two, by that time you're going that far back, things have changed so much, haven't they? Um, just to start with clean sheets, this year so far, um, there's been 21 clean sheets, less whatever the hell happens tonight with um, Villa and West Ham. Year before, um, 23 clean sheets um, by this point. Liverpool had kept three of them, actually. And in 2017-18, a mammoth 39 clean sheets have been kept at this point. Uh, United had four, and the likes of Huddersfield, City, Saints, Swansea, Spurs, Watford, WBA had all kept free. You can see the depreciation defensive quality that seems to be going on. Maybe that's the tailwind of a very, very strong, uh, of very strong attacks, as we've been mentioning. Uh, maybe with the removal of Huddersfield and Cardiff, for example, they've been replaced by more offensive teams, and that's had a particular bit of an impact. You can see this as well in, in things like a big chances conceded. Um, just to look at Liverpool and City, for example, 2018-19 at this point, Liverpool conceded uh, two big chances. At this time now, Liverpool conceded eight big chances. So they've quadrupled the amount of big chances that they've conceded, which I think is down, as you say, to, to the personnel. A really telling stat here is defensive errors, the, 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 one of the less looked at stats, um, which shows that in the past, in the past couple of years that I mentioned, City and Liverpool have been pretty tight at the back. And um, they've both... Uh, by this point, game week five and game week seven in 2017-18 and 2018-19, they both only made two defensive errors. Sorry, uh, Liverpool made one actually in 2017-18, but one to two defensive errors. This year, Man City have made four defensive errors, so they've doubled um, the defensive errors that they've made, and one error has been leading to goal, obviously Otamendi. Uh, but this year, Liverpool have made six uh, defensive errors, um, one leading to goal, which is Adrian. So they've tripled again the errors they've been making. I think those sorts of numbers do show that there, there is an element of luck involved, um, but 
also with the concession of the big chances, it's a depreciation and defensive solidity because you've got that kind of uh, the, the offensive menu, which is, which is now available to us as FPL managers, which is actually quite an exciting time. Because obviously one of the one of the counterpoints to big at the back is, as Adam said when he was on the pod last week, um, it, it can be a bit nerve wracking waiting for loads of clean sheets to come through, right? So you want those strikers from a fun perspective, but there's definitely some sort of element of that there in the numbers you can see. Yeah, definitely. I completely agree with you there. I mean, yeah, exactly. That's a very good point. And I think FPO underscore Chris, he, he responded to my thread with um, some interesting statistics in terms of the sort of the, the volumes of clean sheets that we've had so far this season and uh, and how low it is in comparison to literally since 2002, 2003. So essentially, we're, we're sort of 20 point, um, five percent um, amount of clean sheets so far this season and the lowest since 2002 2003 I think is about 25.1 percent and typically it ranges over the course of the season between sort of 20 uh, 27 to 30 percent clean sheets a year so we're performing well below the uh, the mean of clean sheets and uh, so it's no surprise really that the defenders are struggling when literally hardly any teams at all are keeping the clean sheets but part of the reason behind the big of the back concept is and it's not just about the clean sheets for these defenders it's about the attacking returns as well and that's that's why why we like these defenders I mean the likes of Trent Alexander-Arnold unfortunately did only get two points this week but he um, he created like 11 um, chances in total which was I think second only to Deu Lafayette or something over the course of the uh, the game week so this, this guy is creating tons of chances there's definitely the um, opportunity for attacking return we've both got Trent and we've both got Luca Dean and, and they're taking all the sort of set pieces for their teams as well so there's definitely opportunity for these guys who are constantly bombing forward they're up in the wing they're spending half their game virtually in the opposing half in the penalty box and stuff so there's there's plenty of opportunity even if those clean sheets go I always look at the likes of Trent Alexander-Arnold and think actually I may have lost a clean sheet there's still 10 minutes um, to go you could definitely nab an assist and he can definitely get me some points. And I think Luca Dean did that the other game week with a very last-minute assist. Yeah, he did. Yeah, yeah. A couple of points. So um, I do I do get obviously annoyed with Liverpool because I was doubled up. But I always think, actually, you know, there is an opportunity here still to, to get to grab a return. And that's, that's what I really like about these defenders. I don't just have them for the clean sheets. I've got them for the attacking returns as well. And essentially, the clean sheet is a... An added added bonus if you think about it in a funny sort of way because you can get your goal you can get six points for a goal ridiculous you can get three points for an assist you can if they get a clean sheet they invariably always pick up bonus as well because they're creating so many chances so they always perform very well in terms of the uh, the BPS metric so there are so many different ways for these players to get you points more than any other player and that's that's why I like them really as well as their sort of kindly price. As we said, none of them are more expensive than seven million pounds. So you know, it's about the same price as a cheap forward or um, or a mid-priced mid, isn't it? Really? No, certainly. And uh, what's telling actually is in the much-neglected ICT index, um, there's only two defenders in the top twenty who are TAA in ninth and Dean in fifteenth. Last year, at this point, there were absolutely no defenders. In 2017-18, there was our man Ben Davis in seventeenth and Alonso in twentieth. Uh, but you're completely right about the absence of clean sheets impacting defenders and um, I think there's points we made a few times but Nick there's one defender currently in the top 20 in FPL in terms of points scored overall who is that? Yannick Vestergaard. It is indeed the uh, the burly Southampton defender um, so one man one defender this year in the top 20 uh, last year there were four in the top 20 after five game weeks um, Alonso 46 Holobas and Robertson were both on 34 and Mendy with 32 uh, Alonso would actually would be the second highest scoring player 
overall so far if he'd have done that this year. 2017-18, as mentioned, there were a lot of clean sheets at the start. Man United particularly were on a bit of the madness then. Uh, there were six defenders in the top 20 after five game weeks. That's uh, Valencia on 36, Bailly, Babies, and the likes of Hagazzi, Lascelles and Alonso were all there. So I guess this year it really has not gone the defender's way and I think we touched on it a little bit then and you mentioned kind of the game that we saw we witnessed this weekend for Liverpool um, against Newcastle and um, the next part of your thread obviously was that that luck can have a bit of an impact here and I don't think we're not saying we're not ascribing the fact that this hasn't really worked out so far to, to it being purely bad luck and you know people like FPL Chef have done very very well through creating a, a team which is very very attack heavy and going for the retro 343 which I think I'll be looking at with my wild card but you know this week for example TAA Robbo both had a uh, big chances in the game uh, TAA created seven chances in that game like how he didn't return and how Robertson didn't return more than he did is just a uh, just incredible really and plus add some bad luck in with uh, Adrian's uh, mistakes and things like that Otamendi's mistakes and you've got a bit of a recipe for big at the back to look a bit shaky haven't you Nick? Yeah, exactly. As I said, Liverpool um, have conceded in four of these five games, but some of those goals were, were pretty damn lucky, to be honest. They're very unfortunate. Obviously, yeah. one example, sort of Jetro Willem's goal on Saturday was an absolute sort of amazing goal. It sort of came out of nowhere and it was very unfortunate. Nothing Liverpool could have done about that particular goal. And I think there's the same against um, sort of Harry Wilson uh, free kick. It was an absolutely fantastic free kick um, that he uh, delivered in that game as well. So I think... Um, you know, we try and say, actually, oh, a theory's not worked because of luck. We're not trying to say that at all. That's, that's not what we're trying to say. Oh, it's just been luck that this hasn't worked out. But there, it has to be um, considered as, as one of the factors why things perhaps haven't gone the way of, um, as we sort of planned at the beginning of the pre-season, we talked about it, obviously, and uh, things, have, things haven't worked out. There's been the injuries. There's been these amazing goals. There's been these ridiculous mistakes by the defenders that we would not expect them to make. But I think you have to have an agree of adaptability to these strategies as well. And if things aren't working out, you have to, to make sure you that, you know, we're not going to say, right, we're, we're rigidly sticking with this. This is the case. It's just luck. We're not certainly saying that at all. I think you do need to kind of be malleable and sort of be willing to change when things perhaps aren't working out. And as we said, there's been a change in the guard as well with the forwards. I definitely feel like um, at this moment in time, I need to start pivoting my team back towards sort of a, a more forwards heavy team. And at the moment I've just got the one man in Timmy Pukia. So it doesn't definitely doesn't feel enough with all the sort of the top um, top scorers in the game being forwards at the moment. I need to definitely think about a second forward. But at the moment I think in terms of my personal um team, I'm probably going to roll it for now, I think, and um not get Tammy in for the Liverpool game. He, t- he feels like one of the sort of a player that's a flat track bully. I think someone highlighted that Tammy's only ever, only scored this season against teams that have been promoted in the last year and a half, and it's a, it's a fair cut. We know Tammy can smash it against champ in the championship against championship level teams, but can he sort of deliver against um, clubs like uh, Liverpool? Yeah, so I'm leaving it till Friday till I buy him. So I really hope he doesn't rise. Um, 
but as you said, you've got to be malleable and you've got to be able to just look at things and, and realize when they're not really working. Right, the, the killer for me really is the XGC stats. Um, so Liverpool um, and Man City at this time last year were the lowest for XGC. Um, Man City three point one six, Liverpool three point seven three. This year that's risen to five um, goals that um, Liverpool would would have conceded uh, according to the expected stats, and almost six five point seven seven for City. So uh, as I mentioned earlier on, there's been a bit of a depre- depreciation in the defenders, and it's hard to see where the clean sheets are going to come from. Whereas on the other side of it in this kind of high goal scoring sort of scenario you've got a lot of strikers currently at it and yeah I'm the same with you that I think you're going to have to perhaps look at your teams and think well how am I going to react to this if you haven't already and I'm going to be reacting to it I think Um, just because I've if that's the way the season goes, like you've got to be able to think, right, okay, this was my idea. Get over the sunk cost fallacy. Yeah, we spent a lot of time thinking about bigger the back and arguing for it. But if the data doesn't support it anymore, you, you can't get into that cycle of going, it's going to come back, it's going to work, it's going to work. Like, um, there are certainly times this weekend where I kind of thought, yeah, I think I've probably seen enough here. Um, and the final thing on your threads, um, just to talk about quickly, is the kind of the 4.5 and 5 million bargain bucket defenders, which are around, um, you said that they're definitely going to have a role to play. Yeah, I think so. I think there's, there's been, as you mentioned, some unlikely picks so far that have been delivering the, the likes of Yannick Vestergaard in the Southampton defence. We've also seen um, Eric Peters <laughs> turn up again um, after a year sabbatical in the championship and uh, start uh, performing... Um, above expectations in terms of points for value. And I definitely think that, you know, we can talk about these 4.5 million defenders and also, of course, John Lundstrom at um, Sheffield United, who's currently 4.2, who's been doing very well and sort of developing a bit of a cult following in FPL, so to speak. Lots of people loving the Lundstrom, who's sort of out out of position, um, sort of defensive asset. And I think definitely think these players can have a role to play. And it's all about sort of trying to find those bargains in there. You know, likes of Soyuncu, for instance, less um, sort of, playing very well and only 4.5 I've always sort of talked about um, Lewis Dunk as well at Brighton who's a um, very cheap cheap um, defensive asset as well and, and yeah these players can be very good value but of course uh, you essentially are paying for something a little bit less than the premium assets it does give you a little bit more flexibility to spend on your midfield and attack but you're not you know you're not going to be guaranteed clean sheets from these players unfortunately it can be a little bit up and down and a little bit of a gamble to actually predict who's going to do well and who's going to not do well I don't I don't think um, anyone would have put you know had sort of fantastic odds if you put a bet on sort of uh, Vestergaard, Peters and um, Lundstram being the uh, sort of top value defensive options at this point of the season I think. Yeah, certainly. I mean, the one thing to remember is if you are going for these 4.5 guys, is that they don't come with that level of guarantee of, of points over the long term. And if you look at the quote-unquote analog stats, unsurprising who's dominating them. Like, chances created, it's TAA and Dean at the top. Um, and in uh, for, for attempts at goal, it's, it's Dean, Alexander Arnold and Robertson at the top. So these are players who are going to return over the course of the season. They haven't at the moment. They haven't yet. And there are better options or on paper options who are returning at the moment in other positions, which may make you rethink again those resources. But you have to bear in mind the players you're bringing in, they are the sorts of players that you are going to have in, they are going to let you down, but that's what they're costed for. Um, it's just when those 
more expensive players are letting you down as well when you probably have a bit more of an issue um uh, i guess that kind of brings us to rounding off this uh, this little bit nick and i guess the central perk of having these defenders is that you can downgrade them and redistribute the money so what are you thinking of doing with these guys going forward like you guys can probably guess that what my wildcard is going to look like but um i don't think i haven't heard that you've had any plans to wildcard unless you're kind of keeping it quiet from me nick but you said at the end of your thread that you were you were still pretty confident about being at the back right yeah, I mean, I'm confident about the premium defenders. I, I may be pivoting, as I said, to a sort of a three-five-two. I think at the moment, I do like the way um, the role that Cantwell is um, playing in my team at the moment. Sort of the fifth midfielder that seems to be very much performing above expectations. Another sort of very good value pick, as we said. Uh, but I think um, with Van Dijk and Zinchenko, I think one of them will be downgraded to um, a cheaper option. And I've got a little bit of cash in the bank. And as I said, I think um, uh, my bench at the moment is absolutely terrible. I do have Rico, who, who got five points from the bench, which is the same as the rest of the defence put together. Oh. But I've also got, uh, I've got Connor Wickham and Mason Greenwood doing absolutely nothing. So I think Wickham will have to go because he's injured as well. And he upgraded to the likes of Tammy Abraham. And it gives me a little bit of flexibility to, um, to switch around as well to other options if necessary, um, like Haller and stuff. I can see where you're coming from and, and why you are where you are. Like having a phase sort of approach um, probably sounds like it would fit with your situation at the moment. For me, I just want that seven uh, in the front line. I think that that'll be what I'm doing uh, from the uh, from the deadline onwards uh, to try to put out a great uh, a, a great front seven uh, come uh, game week seven. Okay, uh, let's take a break there, Nick, and move on to the features. Who got the assist? Who got the assist? Hello, so we're back and we're going to go into the features section now. This is our weekly staple of uh, different things that we speak about. The market forces, the over 30s, the Nick pick versus the Tom pick, uh, the zombies, and of course, Dad Watch. I think we are going to have another instalment today, are we, Nick? Yep, we'll be uh, catching up with uh, what my dad's been up to uh, this game week uh, on the mountains of Alsace, yeah. <laughs> Excellent, cool. All right, let's uh, start with the market forces then. This is where we uh, observe the market's reaction to the game we've just gone, looking at the movers and shakers and figuring out why that may possibly be. Uh, Nick, the man across numbers, I know that the game week's still ongoing, but so far, what are the early signs? So yeah, um, a lot of activity as usual in, in the market, lots of early movers, lots of excitement. Um, building for Tommy Abraham. Um, obviously, perhaps not surprisingly at all, this is the uh, most transferred in player at this moment. Despite the uh, Liverpool fixture, he's had um, over 360,000 transfers in. And as we said, he's got seven goals in three games. He, he looks uh, very exciting. Looks like he's settling in very well in terms of that leading man at Chelsea and, the, and at number nine jerseys. Um, definitely his right now. So I think... Um, I think it's no surprise that Abraham's being heavily bought, uh, but he's um, he's got Pookie on his tail still. Um, as we saw last week, lots of people selling Pookie after just one blank. And even though they had Manchester City before, why are people selling this guy? He's just had a sort of smashing start to the season. And a lot of people punished by selling Pookie because, of course, he's had um, he got 12 points against Manchester City, unbelievably. And uh, he's had over 215,000 transfers in at time of recording. But Tom, there's a couple of forwards being sold. Jimenez is uh, the most transferred out player with over 100,000 transfers out. We all loved Jimenez last season. He was brilliant. 
he, he was brilliant in a, in a very dead field in terms of that forward line. There weren't really anyone competing with him in terms of value and goals. But this season, he's only got the two goals. And in the era of forwards, that's just not enough for managers, is it? And it's the same also with your Barnes train, Tom, I'm afraid. 87,000 transfers out. The train seems to be a little bit derailed right now after a couple of blanks. I think it was just as soon as you got on, wasn't it, that he started blanking? <laughs> Basically. And uh, to complete the three divorces of forwards uh, in, in the uh, sales, it's uh, Harry Kane, uh, been sold by 85,000. Obviously got an assist this week, but given 11 million's worth of price, that's uh, yeah, that, that, that's not really enough for people to keep hold. Also rising this week, it's uh, my cousin Todd Cantle. Um, I'm one of the 178,000 managers so far who have bought in the uh, the utility man. Um, yeah, 21.5% ownership now after a, a, another goal, um, his second of the season. And uh, with a decent run actually um, coming up for them. Um, I, I think that I can see why people are doing it. And I did it basically because he fits into any wildcard I was going to get. He was rising, didn't want Dundonka anymore and needed a, a kind of 11th man. So I, I'm, I'm one of these people that have bought him in. And uh, Son Heung-min, um, after, after a brace, um, obviously very, very low ownership on those players that I tipped actually as one of my Tom picks a couple of weeks ago, ahead of my time. And uh, yeah, now announced himself again on the season 16 points against Crystal Palace and, and not particularly surprising but I'm guessing uh, uh, some allowances need to be made for that and I'm surprised by who is getting the bullet. Yeah I think there's no, no surprise obviously Smiley Son uh, being bought after Brace he also got an assist in the Arsenal game and, and Spurs have some decent fixtures actually coming out with Leicester, Southampton, Brighton and Watford up next but yeah it's, it's Raheem that's being sold um, 75,000 transfers out already for Raheem Sterling at the time of recording. And obviously he had five goals in, in the first three games of the season. Hat-trick in the opening game of 5-0 Mauling West Ham. But that, that feels so long, long ago in terms of FPL. We've all forgotten about that. All we can think about is oh, his back-to-back blanks against Brighton and Norwich. And uh, yeah, despite the Watford at home fixture, a lot of people setting him. That uh, feels a bit dangerous, especially with that sort of tasty home match against Watford. And I'm, I'm sure you're probably thinking about captaining him again, aren't you, Tom? Yeah, I think so. We'll talk about it later on the transfers and captains, but I, I find it again very hard to uh, to see past captaining him. So once more into the breach, dear friends. Once more on Sterling. Cool. All right. Um, let's move on then to the over thirties. This is a team that Nick and I have put together uh, based on the fact that we've hit that milestone and wants to make sure that the old dogs have still got some relevance in fantasy football. Um, this week they did all right. Um, Forty six points uh, with a minus four. Brought in Sigurdsson. This was his birthday, and I was also alerted to the fact that Matt Lowton um, at Burnley is thirty two. So mind if I remember brought him in. However, it didn't work out particularly well. Um, Lloris at the back with a clean sheet and a couple and six saves uh, got eight points. Captain Aguero returned with the goal. Um, but apart from that, it was, it was kind of slim pickings. Aubameyang with the first team really carrying the team to that 46. Uh, they're currently ranked uh, 1.7 million, so, so no great shakes. But again, the team's in pretty good state, actually, um, ahead of next week. Um, Captain Aguero again, I'm sure. Maybe we'll give it to Aubameyang, I'm, I don't know. Um, but yeah, yeah, I think... Uh, I think overall the the, uh, the prospects are looking fairly good for the over first, especially with uh, Siggy in now to beef up that midfield, which uh, was being held together by David Silva and Mark Noble. Yeah, they're doing okay, aren't they? The over thirties. I think they're relying quite heavily on that forward line, as you said, like for Bamiang and Aguero um, gathering the points. But yeah, talking about someone else who's over thirty, it's it's this time for for Dad Watch and. Uh, yeah, just to give a little bit of um, explanation, I'm sure most of you know already, but 
basically my dad set up a team a proper team for the first time ever in fpl um, with a little bit of guidance but a lot of just sort of initiative and then bringing in players that he recognized and uh did ridiculously well after two game weeks. It was sort of 3K in the world. I was like, how's he reached these heights that I've essentially never never reached um, in my FPL career? So we thought we'd, uh, you know, introduce a little bit of feature to just sort of track him over the course of the season, see how he gets on. Um, and yeah, since sort of reaching the 3K in, in game week two, it's, it's been a little bit of a downward trajectory, unfortunately, for my dad. But he's still kind of doing relatively okay in terms of overall rank. He, he dropped 10K um overall rank this game week down to 131k uh, with sort of a total return of, of 53 points uh, sort of Cantwell and Pookie uh, doing the business for him as well as Rashford and uh, Sadio Mane but um, yeah having problems with the defence as well um, this game week and um, particularly made a particularly bad transfer which uh, we talked about on the last pod and I advised him against which was sort of fiddling around and rotating the goalkeeper. And I said, don't do that. And he did it right at the beginning of the week as well. We talk, I told him about the perils of over-management and not getting overly um, fussed about um, who's in your team and what you're doing. But didn't listen to the advice, did he, Tom? Um, so uh, bad, bad times for Ian as he swapped out De Gea uh, for Edison, which was an eight-point swing in terms of... <laughs> He'd be sitting very pretty on a 61-pointer this game week. But... Because of that transfer, it was only 53 points and a slight red arrow, unfortunately, for him. Yeah, still did better than me, though. Uh, yeah, I mean, he said to me, I'm fine, I'm fine. But I'm not, I said, are you sure you're fine? I just said, enjoy your holiday. Enjoy the Alsace and uh, I'll see you when you get home. Has he tinkered at all this week so far? Yeah, that's not, not as far as I know. Okay. Right. Remind him there's a Friday night deadline, though. Cool. All right. And uh, moving on uh, to the uh, Nick, Nick pick versus the Tom pick. This is where we give a couple of picks based on our uh, personalities. So Nick, a bit more of a small C conservative, straightforward sort of pick who's going to score you points. And for me, a bit of a mad scientist sort of pick who may score you great points or may very well blank. And I'd actually forgotten who it was because we were on an international break. Um, but I listened back to the old pod with Adam and I, I found out that Nick, you'd chosen Aubameyang. So yeah, 13 points. Congratulations. And uh, crystallizing what I was saying about my sort of pick I chose and Riyad Mahrez um, who got one point uh, against Norwich in that horror show for Manchester City uh, so Nick uh, who is your straightforward pick this week so Tom for my uh, for my pick this week I, I thought I'd go for um, I go, thought I'd go for Callum Wilson actually I feel like um, he's really hitting his stride in terms of uh, goals now in the Premier League he's a uh, he needs to be a part of the conversation in terms of those attacking forwards that are out there with sort of three goals and three assists to his name so far in five game weeks. And he's already on 33 points. And I feel like um, even though Southampton have been a little bit more um, defensively resolute this season compared to last season, I feel like um, there could be more goals for, for Callum um, in the Friday night game. We, he's actually delivered in every game so far this season. I feel like he's going to continue that brain of form. And he certainly needs to be in in terms of um, the conversations being held with the forwards, we didn't cover him in great detail um, earlier on in the pod, but I feel like um, he's, he's certainly uh, one to, to shout about. Yeah, certainly. He's due to come in for me. I think I'm a wild card at the moment as I go for the poor front line, the PAW of uh, Pookie, Abraham and Wilson. Uh, so yeah, no, I'm behind that. Uh, my Tom Pitt this week actually is in the same game. It's Gineppo at um, Southampton. So I saw um, saw him play. He, he, he looked like he had something about him. Really nice goal this week. And uh, yeah, I, I feel like uh, in that kind of troublesome, cheap midfielder slot, um, anybody to keep an eye on is interesting. It's like he's got a little bit of flair about him. It's like he's got the ability to make the difference. This is all I've got because I didn't look into him because it 
was in the Belgian league and the TLDR of that was he was in the Belgian league. Um, but yeah, interesting to see how he goes. And I think that Bournemouth defence may, be, uh, may be right for him to, to get another. So yeah, that's how that one goes. And the, uh, the final thing this week is the Zombies. Again, we're not going to be updating uh, the Zombie League just because of uh, the time of the recording. I want to give a big shout out to Eric Amundsen uh, for messaging us with a few more cheaters who will be removed uh, from the Zombie League um, in due course. So Nick, how did your Zombies do this week? So yeah, yeah, sort of a very much uh, sort of dead week for them again. Uh, sort of just fifty-one points, or they seem to be sort of mirroring my main team over the course of the season. But a couple of people showed up that have done absolutely nothing up till now with, with a few points, which is nice to see. Ryan Fraser and um, Ian Batonian sort of finally appearing with some points, and he got a five point. Um, five points this game week so yeah good to see um, those guys return as well as um, Andrew Robertson getting a five and then Marcus Rashford a nine but yeah nothing uh, particularly exciting to talk about in terms of my zombies this game week yeah, um, is that the same for me? I seem to be um, mimicking again my main team in that they're about kind of five or ten points off you every game week somehow. Uh, so my guys have ended up on 46 and that Laporte injury is absolutely huge for them, unfortunately, because it means that Lise Mousset comes off the bench uh, probably for the next six months to give me one point, which he's done this week. Um, Captain Salah obviously got the goal. Uh, Josh King with a welcome uh, pair of assists. But other than that, not very much in the 45. I'm really hoping that Nicola Pepe, who's my main sort of punt that particular setup uh, begins to do something very soon. Um, as it stands, actually, they're um, not actually that far off me, my main team. Uh, I'm uh, yeah seven points ahead of them, so things are getting a bit dicey, and I'm really hoping that uh, I'm able to accelerate away from them, hopefully uh, powered by that wild card when it comes around to it. All right, let's take a break there and move on to the questions. Who got the assist? Who got the assist? So we're back, and um, we're not going to do a who got the assist mini league update this game week uh, because uh, the game week is actually still ongoing but we, yeah we'll try and uh, give a proper update next week's so apologies uh, for that but yeah I can see um, a few guys doing very well um, likes of Anasa Khalidi had a very good game week uh, this game week and sort of 85 points now up to uh, overall rank 12 which is pretty damn impressive so well done Anas and then well done to all the other guys that are doing well in the uh, the mini league right now and um we're also on um, Love Sport Radio every uh, game week. Uh, so check us out. It's typically around sort of 6 p.m. on a Friday. So um, this game week, Tom will... Yeah, so this game week, I'll be appearing um, just before the uh, the Southampton-Bournemouth uh, game uh, to give my thoughts. And uh, I know you were on it last game week, weren't you, as well, Tom? Yeah, always good to go on with uh, with Johnny and you, and if we, if we can, um, obviously getting a bit of banter at the moment. So I'm really hoping that we're able to take that on because the producer is uh, one of these guys who's uh, just just done really really well. The sort of thing where he didn't have Sterling or didn't have uh, uh, Aguero the other week, so he captained De Bruyne uh, for that for that great performance, and that's just taken him away. So hopefully we're going to be able to catch up in not very long. Speaking of catching up, I'm going to do an awkward segue there. So the questions, and the first question is from our buddy FPL Stag, who asked. Um, I'm not going to do the Irish accent. I was about to launch into it and I thought better of it. Uh, what exactly is it about this season compared to others that means I and others can't catch a break so? And uh, yeah, it's, it's definitely something that we've been speaking about, I guess, in terms of big at the back. But with many managers struggling, with lots of uh, deployment of the cl- of the classic, uh, when can we, st- can we restart the season? Question mark tweet. Um, what do you think has been going on there, Nick, which is really uh, causing many managers to struggle and not be able to get back to where they're used to being? Well, to be honest, I mean, we've covered a number of the factors at the beginning of the season, but we, it's, it's not a new occurrence to sort of get these 
types of uh, questions from people. Um, and I know Stags obviously is sort of one of those top managers. He did absolutely fantastically last um, season. You know, I remember he was right at the top of our mini league right at the end of the season. But um, there's always a few people, a few top managers, always sort of doing badly. And uh, and yeah, I think he just had, it's just a, sort of a myriad of factors. He can't really pin it down to to one thing. Often it can be you know unfortunate picks, a bit of bad luck here and there, a couple of wrong captaincy options, a couple of um, defenders that haven't kept clean sheets and all of a sudden you, you find yourself lurking quite quite low down the, the ranks. And I think um I think as I think Stag should not worry. I think it's obviously um, very early in the season. I know he's um struggling a little bit in terms of his OR, but I definitely know that um he'll he'll catch up with the rest of us and, and certainly be up there and competing right at the top of the end of the season. So I think my, my advice would be to not overly panic. Just, um, you know, keep doing what you're doing. Keep trying to follow, you know, the analysis and, and you know, looking at the players that are good, etc. And then and, uh, the improvement will definitely come in the long run. Yeah, exactly. I think um, when people do look at their ranks and it's not as good as it can be, you've got a sense of danger, don't you? Your Inagi senses start tingling. But I think a lot of it is due to the failure of the big at the back and, well, so far anyway, Nick, before you get angry there. Um, but I think uh, you touched on it a second ago, is captaincy. It's absolutely huge. Um, the fact that that hasn't really worked out thus far um, has been a bit underrated, I think, in the um, in the clamour to discredit you. <laughs> but um, yeah, like a pair of uh, sterling blanks against Bryson at home and Norwich away. Um, I think that that's been a huge factor in, the fa- in many people not doing particularly well when those who captain Salah um, or Captain Mane indeed have, have done very, very well. And I think that looking at it again, I think I'd do the same thing again and Captain Sterling for both of those games. And I probably will Captain Sterling this week against Watford. But captaincy is such a huge part of FPL and not landing those... Um, it's absolutely huge. So official FPL, to their credit, have uh, stepped up this year in, in Twitter and they started uh, interacting with the community a little bit more. And they retweeted the guy, um, FPL the Adam, um, who famously provided me the hold, hold, hold gift the other year, um, who showed that if you left your captaincy on one of, uh, on, on, on Salah or Sterling, for example, from the very beginning, you'd be in a much better position than swapping between them. However, like, I don't think that's feasible week to week. Like looking back again, can you really be angry about the fact that you captain Sterling against Norwich away? Like I think that you you do that every time. It's just the case of these things. Uh, uh, is gambler's fallacy to say it's going to even out? But as Nick says, you can't be thinking, "Oh my god, my team is terrible. I've got to give up." Like you've got to just stick with it and do some work to get back. You will get back eventually. It's just landing those captaincies, doing what you're doing. If you're making decisions for the right reasons, if you're making mad mad calls and it's not paying off after lots of hits, then it's your fault. But if it's something like your captaincy not quite working out, or if it's something like the defenders get not getting the rub of the green, then those are things you've got to you've got to wait for, right? And uh, Nick, you've had a, a bit of a, a, some travails as well in this regard uh, with Salah and Sterling, like I have. Yeah, so I was just looking actually um, when you mentioned that point about uh, picking the wrong out. Uh, one house Salah and Sterling. I was just going through each game week, and it seems like since uh, the start of the season, I've picked the wrong one house of Salah and Sterling every single game week, <laughs> which hasn't been great. Obviously, um, Salah got twelve in the first week when Sterling got his uh, uh, hat trick for twenty points, and then it's just continued on from there. So I think definitely there is a factor of luck in it, and those test captain picks are really critical in terms of success. And maybe there is um, a case for just. Um, keeping it on one of them and sticking perhaps. But uh, 
yeah, I think uh, going back to the original question, I, I wouldn't worry too much this moment in time. Just uh, try and enjoy the game, um, which we all love. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Oh, it doesn't feel like it at times like this, does it? But um, yeah, no, we all get through it. We're, 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 we're all in it together. There are some people who are doing fantastically well, of course, but I, I'm sure things will eventually even out. Like the cream rises to the top, of course. Right, the next question. Uh, are Chelsea the real deal? Uh, Jeremy Lewis asked if one of their attacking players, um, I'm guessing he means by that, uh, Mason Mount or Tammy Abraham, uh, essential inclusions in our squads. And FPL Fox asks, how long can Tammy keep it up? Um, so obviously I mentioned earlier on that he's hugely, hugely uh, outperforming, if I can use that word, without um, inciting the Bain crowd. His XG at the moment and uh, Mason Mount as well doing very well. You're, you're transferring this week for Martial and nicking a last minute goal. Uh, you're very happy on the stack to about that, weren't you? Um, so uh, yeah, both of these young players, both Lampard lads, um, looking very, very good. And uh, with a great run of fixtures uh, to come from game week seven. So uh, this week with Liverpool, I'm praying that people are going to be leaving them um, so I can buy them on Friday night and I don't rise any further. But uh, from game week seven to game week 12, I don't play any teams in the top six. And indeed, uh, from uh, game week seven all the way up to game week 17, they only play Man City in game week 13. So uh, pretty decent run for them. And uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised to see many people doubling up or even you know with, the, with Tamori uh, seemingly uh, emerging as well as, a, as another 4.5 million cheap option at the back, uh, tripling up on, the, on on Chelsea going forward. So uh, what do we think on Chelsea then, Nick? Are you, uh, are you convinced? I know you're on Mount. Are you looking to add to him? You've mentioned Abraham as well in glowing terms. Yeah, certainly. I think um, I really like the Chelsea players and they've actually got a fantastic run of fixtures coming up as well. I think after the Liverpool game, it's just a sea of green in terms of fixtures. Brighton at home, Southampton away, Newcastle home, Burnley away, Watford away, Crystal Palace at home. I think there's certainly a case for, for tripping up on them. And and the reason you can triple up on Chelsea is because they're so damn cheap as well. Like. I've never imagined a season where like the most expensive Chelsea player currently is only 7.4 million. It's just full of bargains in that Chelsea team. I mean, Mason Mount is just absolutely smashing and he's only 6.5 million. You've kind of got no excuse really not to try and sort of fit him into your team. I'm sure he's probably going to be um, in your wildcard team as well, Tom, I'd imagine. And um, same with Abraham as well. These guys are super cheap, you know, they're super affordable and they're playing for a, for a team that's, doing pretty well. I mean, defensively, they remain quite suspect this season and don't seem like the same sort of defensive force that we've known um, Chelsea to be over the past few seasons. But going forward, I can see plenty of goals, plenty of excitement, plenty of youth and vigour and a sort of a youthful manager as well. And uh, yeah, I think it's uh, it's positive vibes generally at Chelsea after that sort of, you know, very dodgy start against Manchester United. Um, I think they're certainly a team that we need to be um, strongly considering um, you know, loading up on and even even definitely um, after the Liverpool game, considering a potential triple up um, with the likes of Tamori, whether he can hold down that position in the team it remains to be seen. But at the moment, uh, he certainly looks very good and he sort of, sort of scored a belt of a goal, didn't he, as well? Yeah, certainly. Um, well, I don't think he's certainly going to be doing that every week. That was an absolute peach for finish, a goal of the month for that. But um, yeah, um, Chelsea and the ability to get that double slash triple up in is... Uh, it's not the reason I'm what I'm going to wildcard on Friday. I'm I'm going to use the def- definitive tone here. Um, there's a small chance I might not, but I I, I almost definitely am. And um, part of the reason I'm wildcarding is the fact that these guys, because they started off so cheap, like Mount's already risen 0.5, um, Abe's uh, already risen at 0.3. 
come international break too, if I'm still waiting around to buy these guys in, um, they're going to start to become really unaffordable to fit them into a team. Like at the moment, Mount seems to solve that kind of troublesome fourth midfielder slot perfectly. Abraham is worth um, putting your money in just because he plays for Chelsea um, in a Chelsea team which is uh, performing vibrantly. Great, uh, great fixtures and uh, looking absolutely on form. Um, Adam mentioned uh, last week, didn't he, that part of the part of what isn't covered in the stats is, is being on form and having confidence. And watching Tammy certainly has that. Whether he's going to do it against Liverpool, I hope not, because I've got two Liverpool defenders. But uh, <laughs> if he does that, um, great, because he's probably going to be in my team come Friday night. And um, so I'm not, I'm not wild carding to get Chelsea players, but I think having two of them, um, Mount and Abraham, is probably going to be hygiene before long, isn't it? So, yeah, it's it's definitely something that I want to get in on. And um, the beauty to answer FPL Fox's question of Abraham's price is that if he doesn't keep it up, then there's a plethora of options that I can remove him for. So, yeah, win-win, really. Um, but if you listen to this and thinking of buying, I just strongly advocate that you don't buy them until next week, just because I've got Liverpool next, and also because I want to preserve the value as it is for my wild card. Yeah? <laughs> so, we were just discussing Mason Mount there, and the next question is actually on that sort of area. So, as, as I just said, kind of the, that fourth midfielder slot is a bit of a pain point for managers, and Mount looks like that one who may be the kind of a long-term sort of pick there. Um, but FPL Guidance asks, other than Mount, who's of interest in that mid? price midfielder category um, again quite a lot of options kind of going around aren't there at the moment but it does look like kind of Mount is is in the ascendancy as uh, Adam mentioned the other week and continued on this week yeah definitely I think um, well the first person I've made perhaps he's not really mid-price mid more sort of lower price mid, is uh, is Todd Cantor and obviously he's um, he's done very well for Norwich so far and I think he fits very much in sort of that fifth midfielder category that can come in and play in your team uh, but bench at your peril as many found out unfortunately this this game week but sort of moving on to sort of sort of a bit more um, expensive players but one player that's sort of, sort of floating a little bit under the radar actually has done, has done very well is um, first man Eric Lamella so he's um, he's already picked up two goals and um, two assists so far and he's started every single game so it seems like Whilst we've always seen um, Lamella as sort of, you know, a rotation risk, he's never played more than sort of 2,400 minutes in the course of a season. In the last three seasons, the most he's managed is 965 minutes. This season, it seems like Lamella's fit. He seems like Pop really trusts Lamella to be one of his key midfield assets um, this season on, on the right wing. And um, and the, the trust that Pop's put in him seems to have... Um, come out in his performances so far with two goals and two assists and only 6.1 million is worth highlighting this guy is he's, he's not very um, expensive at all and uh, I did mention the Spurs fixtures I think earlier but yeah Leicester Southampton Brighton Watford up next I think you, you have to consider him as perhaps as a another option as in that sort of fourth midfield bracket no, certainly I understand that. Um, I, I think uh, to- Todd Cantor is obviously the guy who uh, is ripping it up. He's uh, actually third for XGI amongst the midfielders at the moment. It's absolutely ridiculous for a 4.5 at the start of the season. Because of him, um, I think that he's going to obscure another option in that Norwich midfield, who's Buendia. Um, absolutely brilliant player. I watched him uh, watched him play this weekend and yeah, absolutely fabulous um, against Man City. Um, just broke up the play and created as well, like a, a real all-rounder. He's currently third for uh, chances created amongst midfielders with 13 and he's always looking for Pookie. Like those two work together so well and it's, it's clear to see 
um, really when they play together, that the potent force that's there and why they got promoted from the championship, basically. Um, also, in the, in, the chance, in the chance creation stats is uh, Lanzini in second uh, with 14. Um, now, I'm not, not really a huge fan of Lanzini, actually. I always kind of think that he's... Uh, a sort of player who assists the assister and plays a bit deep and takes sort of long shots and gets the occasional worldie. But yeah, I don't think he's going to get anything tonight. Maybe the one that I would mention quickly, um, perhaps not one for this week coming because they got Spurs. Uh, but after that, it's uh, James Madison, uh, 7.1. Uh, 2.55 uh, XGI, so it's fourth month midfielder so far, despite having a bit of a dodgy start. And uh, he's also uh, also taken the second most attempts of any midfielder as well. A joint with Mason Mount and Mo Salah on 16. Um, so we know, we know what Madison can do. We know that Madison's um, almost definitely going to be playing every game under Brendan Rodgers, uh, trust him at number 10 position. And once Leicester's fixed as Brighton, I think it could be a really potent differential. Um, so from game week uh, seven onwards, they've got a really, really nice run. They've got Liverpool in game week eight, which is a bit annoying, but that Newcastle game in game week seven, followed by, by Liverpool game in eight. Uh, but from nine till 17, they don't play any team in the top six, apart from Arsenal in game week 12 at home. Um, that's not particularly going to uh, cause anyone any uh, any worry, is it? Being at home to Arsenal, so yeah, I think uh, a seven point one Madison could well be uh, one of those players who does enter the template or does at least enter our thinking. Um, it's just whether the fact that Mason Mount is zero point six million cheaper and providing what he's providing with great fixtures means that Madison's probably going to be ignored. But yeah, he'd be the one that I'd um, be looking at in that sort of mid-price sort of area. Staying with categories, um, mid-price strikers. Um, Wayne Lee says that with a menu of these players doing well, how the hell do we choose between Puki, Abraham, Haller, Wilson, Vardy, Barnes, etc., etc.? And uh, David Genford asked Haller or Abraham, what would you say? Like, I think it's all kind of poking around the same sort of area. Like, how do we even begin to choose between these sorts of options right now? I think for me, I think the two standout picks remain Abraham and Puki. I think Puki is just just performing ridiculously well so far. I, I missed out on all his points in the beginning of the season, but um, was certainly a member of that Puki party this game week against Manchester City. And uh, with their next four as well, being Burnley, Crystal Palace, Villa and Bournemouth, you almost have to consider Puki as a potential captaincy option as well. I think he certainly needs to be in the equation when you're thinking about who you're going to captain with um, with Sterling, perhaps um, not delivering uh, to expectations. But um, yeah, I think Puki um, being a top scorer in the game at the moment, you know, obviously... It's his maiden season in the Premier League. Um, we don't know whether he's going to be main, able to maintain this form over the course of the season. It definitely remains to be seen, but we've seen in the past the likes of Jamie Vardy. You know, never, no one really expected him to sort of thrive in the way that he did in the Premier League. So um, I think there's certainly a case that Puki could be able to maintain his form over the course of the season and become a, a captaincy option. I feel like he's he's definitely the one to... To, to buy and to have in your team. Um, of the other picks, as I said, um, Abraham at the moment um, would be my other choice. I think the fact that he um, plays for Chelsea is a big factor in that. And just because Chelsea are, um, you know, they're much better sides, unfortunately, than a lot of those other sides um, that the mid-price forwards play for. And I think um, we're going to see lots of um, attacking play from Chelsea over the course of the season. It seems like Lampard's sort of very much an attack-minded manager and though it seems like defensively they look a little bit suspect um, going forward they've certainly been very aggressive so far sort of been four for goal attempts with 83 um, and sort of joint third for goals with 11 so far and I think with um, with Chelsea in this sort of youthful side um, we're going to see plenty of goals again for Abraham as well both um, top scorers in the championship as well last season. 
Yeah, certainly. I, th- there are so many options here. I I probably agree with you that maybe mainly because of ownership alone, um, Abraham and Pookie are going to be the two that are going to form most people's front lines. And it kind of becomes a case of, right, do I go 3-5-2 or do I go 3-4-3 and if I have my third, who is it going to be? Um, for me at the moment, it's between uh, kind of, long-term wildcard thinking for next week and um, it's going to be between the BAP and the poor the BAP um, being Barnes alongside Abraham and Pukki uh, the poor being Wilson alongside them um, I don't really mind um, Ashley Barnes of course I think the Barnes train is going to be okay in the end he has uh, slipped a tiny bit in terms of the stats but not too far to be honest a couple of uh, a couple of uh, pretty tame performances as you mentioned since I uh, since I got aboard hopefully to be remedied against Norwich um, uh, but with these guys, the beauty of them is, is, is the price point. Um, like Pookie and Abraham, as I said, probably going to be the two players who are going to be in many teams. But other than that, like the great thing is, is that you can mostly swap around within the price point between these players, provided you have a ceiling of you know, eight million to mess with. Like Wilson's down seven point eight now, isn't he? Um, so it might well be a case of your judgment when it comes down to the fixtures plus the form plus how you think the team is looking. Um, so, for example, for me with with thinking about Wilson is because in game week seven, Bournemouth got West Ham at home. Wilson loves to play West Ham. Obviously, they get a clean sheet tonight, um, but aren't historically the best at keeping out uh, big chances particularly. Game week eight, they've got Arsenal away. In game week nine, they've got Norwich at home. So, three nice games there for Wilson, which may be something which uh, uh, which could promise points, especially because he's, he's a little bit more expensive than the other guys in that bracket, the likes of Barnes, for example. So, he might be one that people weren't able to get to. It's just basically your managerial decision there. Um, and in terms of David Gambit's question on Ale versus Abraham, I think it, after next week, it's got to be Abraham at the moment. I think you stick if you own Ale, stick with Ale and then, um, and, then, and then take it from there. Yeah, definitely. I think um, sort of moving on to the sort of final, final question uh, from FPL Prince and Hindu Monkey, who are asking about uh, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang at Arsenal. And um, we have Lacazette injured. Do we consider him or ignore altogether and Nick Khan um, also asked a similar question as to whether we should be um, swapping Aguero for Aubameyang and to answer the second question I would definitely probably say if you've got Aguero then you probably don't own Sterling but and I would hold Aguero he's he's started brilliantly this season I wouldn't be thinking about selling him unless you were sort of like tripled up on the Manchester City attack and you're thinking about a little bit of disinvestment then yeah fair enough move to Aubameyang but I thought um, it kind of Relates also to um, the previous question, Tom, a little bit, because I was thinking when I when I wild card, and that's probably going to be at the moment. I'm sort of planning for sort of the international break, the next one around game week eight, game week nine, probably. I, I will be certainly looking at um, Aubameyang as um, a potential premium forward option that I would be considering um, getting in to sort of really take advantage of some of those Arsenal fixtures that are coming up. And of course, he's a little, he is much more expensive than these other forwards that have been delivering. So he hasn't really been talked about too much in terms of the goals, but he has five goals to his name so far. He has an, an assist. Alongside Callum Wilson, he's another player that sort of scored in, um, or returned FPL points in every single game week this season. And with those Arsenal fixtures really turning, you really have to consider him surely as an option. I mean, game week eight to game week 16, they don't play any of the top six. It's just... You know, they're all playing sort of the likes of Bournemouth at home, Sheffield United away, Palace, Wolves, Leicester, Southampton, Norwich, Brighton, West Ham. I mean, that's just, you don't get a better fixture run than that, do you, surely? And if you're thinking about Arsenal players, surely you've got to consider someone like Aubameyang in, in your wild card, or are you 
just um, you know avoiding the, the question of a sort of a premium forward altogether at this this moment in time. I think it it really does come down to a binary of Aubameyang, doesn't it? Because Arsenal are Aubameyang or bust in terms of the uh, in terms of the choices as 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 it stands. Uh, Pepe's obviously not lived up to the billing. Um, but you're right, like between game weeks uh, eight and sixteen, um, five out of nine of those games are at home, and no, they, those games are at home to the likes of Bournemouth, Southampton, and Brighton. So I, c- I can see where I, I, I do love Aubameyang. I, I, I know what he offers. Um, is he going to be able to fit into a wildcard team, which also includes uh, Raheem Sterling, KDB, and Salah slash Mane, and probably I'm going to be keeping TAA, and I'm probably going to be keeping Luca Dean. Is he going to fit into that mix? Probably not. Do I want to back Arsenal in FPL and go through the dual pain when they let me down as they did last year? Again, probably not. So it may be that he's the guy who misses out when I post my wildcard team um, in a couple of weeks' time. He'll be the one that everyone writes, oh, no Aubameyang. Um, but I suspect it's just going to be that way. Um, it's really hard to fill these people in. And I, I, I find it quite difficult at the moment, like in my sandwich, to try to think about how everyone's going to go in. I just, I just can't, I can't at the moment see how Aubameyang fits in because I don't see who I'm going to lose so at the moment I prefer to keep it without Aubameyang but I've got a lot to think about over the next kind of couple of weeks so from Friday onwards I'll be in uh, in full thought mode and I will build an Aubameyang team it's just it's just whether I want to go forward with that at the expense of kind of having the, the depth of quality because that would just be focusing all of my resources into three or four key players I'm, I'm not too sure I can quite build a balanced team that I'm going to like for the long term doing that so Love Aubameyang if you can fit him in and you, you have no qualms about um, making kind of changes like like I'm talking about, but then do it. Great. For me, I've, I've got to rethink about it. But I know what he can offer. Those games are great. Would I catch Aubameyang in those games? Yes, I would. Um, will Man City or Liverpool have better games uh, around that sort of period? No, they won't. Um, game week eight, for example, we play Bournemouth at home. Uh, elsewhere, Liverpool got Leicester at home. Man City got Wolves at home. I think I might have to just hope that my current premiums can carry me through that because I'm probably not going to mess with them on the wild card. But yeah, it's a tough one. It's definitely one that I'm thinking of. Undecided answer there, I'm afraid, but uh, it's been one of those sorts of game weeks, hasn't it? So how are we going to move on to the next game week? Let's move on to the transfers and captains then, Nick. And uh, yeah, after we've both kind of, uh, well, you hit the 50s, didn't you just? But um, after a subpar game week yet again, what are you going to do? Are you you ripping it all apart? Are you making lots of changes? Or are you going completely opposite and just sitting on your hands? So yeah, I think at the moment I'm, I might just be sitting on my hands. To be honest, um, I think um, I do have a move in mind, but it's going to be two transfers for the following game week. So I think it's only um, it's only a short um, uh, time frame until the next game because we've got the Friday night fixture. So I'm probably just going to sit on it. I mean, I look at my team and sort of the Liverpool players beside. So Chelsea playing Liverpool is is a key element of um, my team next game week with sort of the three. Liverpool players in the double defence and that is concerning me of course but looking at the rest of the team I'm pretty happy with the setup and um, everyone else um, is in good shape for this game week so there's no one really that needs to go I think the only thing I could have probably done is is that minus four move um, to to get Abraham in and to downgrade um, Van Dijk but even if I'd done that, I'd have still ended up with four players in that game. So it's not like um, I'm disinvesting in in the uh, in the sort of the, the big game, which I like to do whenever a sort of a top six side plays another top six side. I like to sort of have as little limited involvement as possible. So I think with that in mind, I think there's no point me um, 
taking the minus four again this game week to to make that move. So I might as well roll it and and hope that the Van Dyke can um, keep Tammy Abraham at bay. So I think that's that's my plan at least this game week. Um, and the, the captaincy at the moment still on Raheem Sterling. I'm, I'm a sucker for punishment, so I'm coming back for a third time. And uh, as I said, I'm fine if he doesn't if he doesn't return again. So uh, yeah, that that's my team anyway. How about yourself? Yeah, um, I'm uh, I'm going to be the same with Raheem Sterling. Well, they say fool me once, shame on me. Fool me twice, so oh, I don't know. I don't know. I'm, I'm I'm doing it again. Can't look past them home against Watford. Um, I think if he does play against Shakhtar in midweek, plays a lot of minutes, and maybe Kevin De Bruyne is on 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 the menu. But I'm fairly sure I'll be putting it on Sterling. I do like the idea of putting against, putting on Salah against uh, against Chelsea. You know, because the, Chelsea will give him a lot of space because they'll be pushing forward and trying to attack. And you can imagine Salah exposing naivety from young Tamori and young Happy Zuma at the back. But, but who knows? Um, imagine that's been a quest to try and keep up with Salah. Well, what a frightening prospect for Chelsea. Um, but in terms of in terms of transfers, I, I made a transfer on Sunday night. Um, as I mentioned earlier on, um, I sold Dendonka and I bought. Cousin Todd in um, to uh, just basically catch the rise. He's going to be in any wildcard team that I'd make for obvious reasons. And yeah, I need an 11th man this week. I'm just praying that there's no injuries in the aforementioned European matchups uh, to come this midweek. You just confessed to, to breaking the Austin rule there just at the end. Well, I haven't brought in I haven't brought in a player who's going to be playing, playing. No. midweek. So I don't I think te- on a technicality I've gotten away with it. Um, but yeah, it's, it's not it's not ideal, but. I've got very little wiggle room with the wild card that I want to do anyway. I'm a 0.1 million, so it kind of made sense to to give myself as much as I could and hope for the best. You're adding depth to your team as well to a certain extent anyway. So, yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for listening to this scripted performance of Who Got the Assist? Um, <laughs> just to say, of course, who we are. We are Who Got the Assist. You can find us on Twitter at WGTA underscore FPL or at WGTA underscore Nick. And make sure to listen and subscribe across the podding spectrum. And uh, yeah, um, our league code, if you haven't joined our mini league already, is EIKX03. Cool. And there's a theme every week. Uh, this week may have been pretty obvious. I think we've done it. The, no, no, I've, I've definitely done, given it away from the very, very beginning in the past. But I think this week is probably supremely obvious. Hopefully you've enjoyed it as much as we have. Um, last week it was Back to the Future. And uh, we'll be back next week with FPL Dare, that um, Antipodean Dare merchant uh, that I'm very much looking forward to having Dean on. Um, uh, absolutely love his videos. Uh, definitely check him out uh, on Twitter at FPL Dare. Um, and yeah, he'll be on next week. Uh, and that's actually a part of an Antipodean uh, double up, actually, because uh, Alex Ball's coming on in game week seven. Uh, so yeah, two men from Down Under coming up uh, as guests, which we're really looking forward to. Uh, both the guys are teachers, so obviously it's their half turn, so they've got time to record the podcast. Uh, but yeah, uh, don't forget the Friday deadline. In the meantime, I hope this assists you and we'll speak to you very, very soon. Goodbye. Thanks. Bye-bye. Oh, it's a goal. Who got the assist? Who got the assist? Sports Social Podcast Network.